Welcome to Building Great Sales Teams, a show dedicated to making sales teams tick, tick, boom. Great sales teams are not recruited, they are built block by block. Let's get to work. You are a person, so um, right. married, kids, girlfriend, any nope. of that stuff? Okay. Nope. Single as a primo. I've been single for over three years. It's been beautiful. I've gotcha. enjoyed my single though. <laughs> but, dude, more than anything, bro, I needed some time with myself. I needed that. That's fair. I needed that, that part of my journey here. That's fair. Like, I, w- I would not change the fact that I had kids so young, but man, it would have been nice to be single for a while for sure. You know, and figure that, figure out. There's, who's there's pros and cons to yeah. all sides, man. Yeah. You know, because there's days where I'm like, it'd be nice to have a family. It'd be nice to have that stuff. I mean, yeah. it, it goes both ways. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, we got Alex Keats with us today. Alex is a friend of mine in the Apex Network, and uh, we've actually known about each other for a long time. Haven't connected until a couple weeks ago. And it turns out that Alex and I have a very similar background in building sales teams. And so uh, Alex also has a passion for it. He's been in the business for about 12 years, just like me. Ten of those years were invested into building sales teams, Started, got his start in life insurance, and has spent the last six years in roofing. I don't think we have any other roofers in, in Apex, do we? Right, none of those guys. <laughs> But Alex is particularly interested in hiring, training, and retaining great salespeople, so that makes you a perfect fit for this show. You know, obviously, we talk about that a lot, and a lot of times we get super tactical on it, and then it just kind of goes over into mindset, like most of these shows do, you know what I'm saying? But um, let's start in the beginning, Alex. Um, where Where did this all start? When did you get your first sales position? So, for me, started in sales, so I at 22, at 22 years old, I went to college before that I graduated and I always tell folks I had my quarter life crisis at 22. I was like, what the fuck do I want to do with my life? I had no clue. You know, at that point I'd kind of just march to the beat of go to school every year. Right. Go to school, uh-huh. go to school, go to school, you know, in the college, I just went to school. What was your major? Um, but my whole time I, I got my major in political science. And so even going into school, I didn't know what I wanted to study. And I have an older brother. And his advice was, if you don't know what you want to get your degree in, then at least study topics that you're interested in, because that way you'll, it'll have your attention. You'll go to class. You'll get good grades and, and pass. And he's like, no one really cares what you get in, you know, for your bachelor's degree. Right. So I was like, cool. So I took a bunch of random classes my freshman year. ended up really liking this one political science class. I was like, that was cool. I'll take a bunch, a bunch of classes like that. I've always liked history. And what I found about political science was you need to know historical context to understand modern problems and modern situations. So to me, it was always about using history to do some, some problem solving, like what's going on in the current political environment somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was fascinated by that. So I took a bunch of classes, did well. Um, actually highlighted my college career was I was on the rowing team at the University of Washington for four years. Phenomenal experience. So um, sometimes I forget it. I look backwards and I'm like, I'm a four-year Division One athlete. Like, yeah. not a lot of people always get to say that. That's a pretty cool thing, especially that, that if that was a high-level program. I mean, I know guys that went to the Olympics and won medals. Like, it was really cool. It was a phenomenal experience. Well, we taught me a lot of discipline. We talk about it all the time that the greatest salespeople were typically athletes. You know, sports-minded, competitive, <laughs> disciplined, teamwork, disciplined. Competitive. Yep. Yeah. 
there's a lot of good stuff that goes into it. Yeah, so I've been an athlete my whole life, been a, been a jock for sure. Um, yeah, I was rowing, and, but then, yeah, graduated, and I was like, man, I have no clue what I want to do. And so it was actually one of my friends on the rowing team who had done uh, an internship in the spring with this insurance company. And so he'd been inviting guys in for interviews, and so I took the interview. And at the time, what really appealed to me was the sense of freedom. That is what first brought me into sales. It wasn't even the money itself. It was the idea of being challenged and having the freedom to make my own schedule and work as hard as I wanted. Mm-hmm. That was the most appealing part to me. And that's what, and I've been in sales for 12 years now. And that mindset of sales has evolved into entrepreneurship. So mm-hmm. I know that's the, the next steps for me. And yeah, I love that sense of freedom. You know, it's who cares how hard things are, whatever the challenges are, at least it's under your control, how you want to attack it, what you want to do with your schedule. I can't imagine going, going back to being like, even, even a part, uh, I guess a minority partner, you know what I'm saying? Or an employee or a key player in a company. I can't imagine. I mean, in, in there's so many great companies that allow you that freedom and you're allowed to blossom and do your own thing and everything. But I can't imagine not having that freedom anymore to where I wake up in the morning and you know what? Yes, I have my schedule, but I set that right. Exactly. I, just, I just can't imagine someone else telling me where and when to be there, you know, and that's probably why I got fired from my first 20 positions when I was younger, because I was a terrible employee. People kept telling me what Absolutely. to do and I didn't listen. <laughs> I'm the same way. Man. That's my number one thing. I'm like, just let me do it my way. And I'll be so happy. But you tell me where to be, when to be, how to do like that grinds my ears. Gotcha. It definitely does. So, so insurance sales, how well did you do at that? So you, you, you did that for most did of your, that well. yeah. Okay. I did it for six years. And uh-huh. I mean, even the first couple of years, I did not take it serious. I was just like, I'm just here. Cause I don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. I'd really just rather be hanging out with my friends. So I never excelled at it. I mean, I found all kinds of ways to half work, half not for the first couple of years. I was going to say, how did you, how'd you pay your bills? Just barely. I mean, that's the thing. I just made it up just to kind of barely get by. Just over broke. Pretty much. Oh, yeah. And, and the whole thing was like preaching like this is unlimited income. But I was like, but no. Because well, I'll never forget to this day, there was one meeting where I was sitting in the back and they were going over some questions to ask yourself every single day. And one of them is, am I 100% in? I remember being like, hell no, I'm not 100% in. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't get 100% until about two years in. Um, that's where I actually ended up because I was working in their home office in Seattle. And then I ended up moving to Boise, Idaho. And so I was, in my mind, that was the middle of nowhere. And I was like, man, I've never been to Idaho. I don't even know what I'm doing out here. But it got me to get a lot more serious and a lot more dialed in. Because I, for me, it was about eliminating distractions. Got away from friends, got away from, I was partying plenty there at age 22, 23. Yeah. Um, so getting away from that, that really helped me get dialed in and get a lot more focused. That's where I got a lot more serious, picked up a lot more skills when it came to building teams. Yeah, and that's why so many sales organizations will take salespeople from their home market, send them somewhere else for a month, and they'll just tear it up because all their, yes. they're not around all their distractions. You know what I mean? So, yes. you know, we're, we're planning a, uh, a blitz right now because of that. You know, our, our guys have a hang of solar now. They're good at it. We feel like they can sell it anywhere, and we just need that. You know, maybe for like a week we're going to go hit uh, one of the other Texas markets that we're not in right now. And just work and the guys are gonna make a bunch of money you know what i'm saying and then and then come home and enjoy themselves again so yes i've i've found most sales people like that lifestyle they like to like sprint like jam hit it hard Mm -hmm. for a week a couple weeks a month yeah and then give them time to relax and come back to it and then go hit it hard again like a lot of guys operate pretty well under that well and sometimes like me and wayne my partner forget that because we're family men 
and we're home every night for dinner. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, I'm used to a routine. I'm used to a, a, a discipline in the mornings every day and doing my thing or whatever. And we travel, you know, for development and stuff like that, but not for sales or whatever. So, yeah, 100%. So you move to Boise. Uh, you start dialing in your disciplines, start dialing in your processes and systems and stuff. And then was that your first 100K year or when did you get a taste of what sales had to offer? Well, so here was the big difference for me in Idaho was that is where I started getting some real life mentorship that I hadn't had before. So I started working with a guy named Rick Mansfield. Phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Um, in fact, I need to reach out to him. I haven't talked to that guy in years. Um, but what happened was he was the kind of guy that I forget his exact age, not that it matters exactly. He was like late 50s when I met him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was the kind of guy that made a bunch of money, retired at like 55 or so, and basically got bored after three, four years of just golfing all the time. And he said he was just chilling and he literally got bored. So he came back to work mm-hmm. and it was really cool because he always emphasized it. He's like, look, guys, I don't need to be here. I choose to be here. I'm here because I want to impart my wisdom, my experience. You know, I want you guys to get ahead in life and in business further you know, faster by learning from the mistakes and challenges and things that I've been through. Yeah. So working directly with someone like that was, was huge for me at that time because my belief in that company was really waning. And I was considering leaving. I wasn't really dialed in. Then once I met him and saw how he operated, that got me to understand the company on a whole new level, understand the mission of what we were doing, understand that you could do sales morally and ethically mm. and, you know, feel good about it. In fact, one of my favorite concepts that he taught me that I still think about to this day is he said that you want to make sure that in your recruiting process, you have in, in training process, that you have no blood on your hands. And what he meant by that was that you need to be able to look at somebody that they end up leaving your organization, that they cannot say you gave me the wrong expectation or you did not set me up for success. You want to know that you have a, a, an interview process that's thorough, that the expectations are clear, mm-hmm. that the training is sufficient, that when somebody comes through that process, they can say, you've set me up for success. It's now on me to make it or not. Right. But if you have a sloppy interview process, sloppy training, it's not streamlined, it's not you know uh, consistent, People are getting, some people get really well trained, some people don't. Mm-hmm. And now someone wants to come and complain. Sometimes you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, damn, I, I do have some blood in my hands. I, I did mess this, mess this one up. And my goal is just to make sure I never feel that way. To, I always give somebody clear expectations, good training, so they know that it's on them to succeed or not at that point. Yeah, I talk about that a lot because the tough part about it is so many people hire their first salesperson, then they create the sales program. You know, right. and so they're doing everything basically as they go, which is is how it works in entrepreneurship a lot of times. But if you can help it create your sales program first, and then funnel about five, you know, three to five recruits through it, this is like sales organization numbers. You know what I mean? If you have a sales team of two, it's going to be a little different. But work right. for thirty to sixty days, then audit the program again, and then work for another mm-hmm. ninety, audit the program again, work for another six months, audit the program again. And uh, one of the things that we like to do and that I was emphasizing to a client earlier today was uh, the exit survey process. Mm-hmm. So whenever the salesperson leaves the company, that, that, that doesn't mean they're dead to you anymore. They, they have valuable information and they haven't given it to you yet. And you definitely want to give them to give it to you instead of Google reviews or Glassdoor or one of these other review <laughs> sites. So you text them a referral link, not from you, from a... A, uh, a texting service, right? You text them a, a, a referral link and in a referral survey link and encourage them to survey the company and then let them leave comments at the end. Now, sometimes they leave some nasty stuff, you know what I mean? Because people are people, you know what I mean? But sometimes they leave some valuable information that can help you uh, refine your sales program. So 100% believe in that. That's great advice that he gave you at a very early age, for sure. 
and that's the thing. And that's that, you know, and, and well, and here's another piece of my story too that happened was um within my within a couple months of actually being at that company. So it's a it was a pretty large, well, so I was at the largest agency of this company. So it was a company or the agency itself was in 22 states. It was it was fairly okay. successful. The guy that was the the chairman, I mean, I remember because I got invited to a lunch with him and he told me, he's like, I make $20 million a year. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just letting you know that's where I'm that's at. That's possible. He's letting no, you know what's possible. Yeah. Right. Um, but what happened, he, he actually picked me and this other guy, Trevor, and he said, you guys have been handpicked to like within your first year hit management and have at least a team of five people. And I remember being at 22 being like, I don't even know if I want to be here. I don't even know if I want to be in yeah. management. Like, I don't what's going on. So I got accelerated into this management track and this team building track mm-hmm. that I didn't even sign up for. And so I remember the time kind of being frustrated because I did feel like it deterred from me learning sales because I was so quickly put into, hey, do interviews. Yeah. Yes. Interviewing, training. And this was an insurance company that did interviews five days a week, every single week. Oh, one of those. So yeah. the, dude, but I stayed there for six years because I wanted the experience. Yeah. So by the time I left, there, I was 20 eight or so. And I've done thousands of interviews, thousands between phone interviews, first interviews, group interviews, final interviews. Like, in fact, I was even there when they were creating that interview process. I got to be one of their guinea pigs when they were testing out what time of day should we do them? How many should we do? What's the structure of how should we do this? But 22 years old, that was really cool. Like I said, it did distract me from sales and making money, but I was really excited to pick up a skill set that I knew was going to be a lifetime skill set. Absolutely. No, Yep. To this day, we're still refining our interview process, you know, and we're actually changing it now. It was, you know, body count equals bank account before. Now it's more like, okay, we want six-figure producers, so we're interviewing one-on-one again versus group. You know, we're oh, doing yeah. disc assessments and all that yep. stuff. Uh, so it, Rick, John, I, have, I have a very clear idea of an interview process, simple and clear of what I think anyone should use. Awesome. So you review that real quick. Let's walk through it. Yeah, 100%. So I'm really big on keeping it as simple as a three-step interview process. Okay. So the first step is inviting somebody in. So typically that's done on the phone if you have a resume, right? So if you're getting resumes online or mm-hmm. Indeed or wherever you're getting your resumes from, you're calling a person. And the main purpose of that call is just to get them to show up to your office for an in-person interview. Okay. I like to ask a couple real little interview questions in there, but it's more just to see can this person even speak? Because especially if they're hiring for sales, you want people people that can carry Walk and chew gum at the like same that. time. That's right? qualification. Like I can at least maybe that much just like <laughs> show up at my door, right? If they yeah. just totally, but they, I mean, very rarely do I not invite somebody in just from the, even the initial right. phone call. Um, pretty much the goal is to get them in, to give them enough information, ask a couple questions so they can tell it's serious, they, they're engaged and they want to show up. Because um, then the alternative then is, if, is when you invite people in via word of mouth. So not everything has to be a phone call. It could be somebody you just met out in the field. It could be family and friends. It could be whoever you talk Referral. to them, you talk to them and invite them in for an interview. So the whole point is the first step is just invite somebody in for an in-person interview. From there, then the initial interview, that is where you get really clear on a couple of things. And there's, there's two halves to it. The first half is getting to know them. And then the second half is sharing about you and your organization and the opportunity, mm-hmm. right? So in that first half, you want to get really clear on core values. So that's where I, I realized it's funny joining Apex and, and, and reading you know, Thomas King's book, Unfuck Your Business, and how much we focus on core values. It's like, well, I've actually always focused on core values. I didn't, I just didn't always call them core values. Right. But I actually have a list of five that I've used for a long time is I'm always looking for people that are hardworking, positive attitude, coachable, driven, and a genuine interest in helping other people. And so, I, so I've created questions that, that revolve around those five in my first half of my interview. But whatever your core values are, you want to create questions where you say, hey, can you give me an example of where you've been hardworking? 
Like, can you give me an example of where your positive attitude has turned a negative situation around? You know, stuff like that. I mean, it can be really simple, but you want to get them just to talk and see if they even align with your core values. Because if they give answers that are just totally off, you might say this made this perfect person isn't the right fit. But that's what you're doing in that first half. And that's where I'm really getting the heat on if I think I even want to hire this person. Right. Because if they bomb that section, then I'm probably going to end the interview. Right. But if they're answering the questions right, the core values look like they're in alignment so far, then I get into the back half, which is now I'm going to tell them about the opportunity. So, so I want to... I want to point out something, and uh, I don't think a lot of people realize this, especially consulting clients and just you know people that have sales organizations in general. That interview process is a sale. You know what Absolutely. you just des- described: intro, qualify is the first half, and then present and close is the second half. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Because look, we're, we're we we don't have people beating down the doors to work with us, right? You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, not typically. You know, at, at certain times in my career, I have had that because, you know, the, the cult or I guess the the um, sales culture hears about you kind of thing yeah. and they want to yeah. come in. But um, for the most part, it is a sale and, and you're trying to close it. So I've always structured my interview processes the, the same exact way. So what I was going to say, the first half you are buying them and then the second half mm-hmm. they're buying you. Right. For sure. Right. And so, yeah, so the second half, you're going to break down, yeah, things just about, yeah, I, you know, listen to your podcast. I love your phrase, one cheaters, man. I've been creating one cheaters for a while. Heck yeah. Some real simple stuff. We talk about how they get paid. You know, what are the expectations? What's the typical schedule? You know, what's an appointment like when they're actually out in the field? Tell them a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. You know, tell them what's expected. You know, like, hey, you got to memorize a script or not, or, you know, whatever the expectations are to, to get the job down. Right. Um, you know, there's a promotion track. Get into that a little bit, right? Talk about some of the, the future development they could be a part of. Get them excited for that future growth. So, mm-hmm. uh, but the point is to be really brutally clear, brutally real. I'm so big on that. I'm so tired yeah. of people that sugarcoat stuff in their interviews and trying to gloss stuff over. Like, yeah. I'd rather just be directly blunt with people right. and have them say, oh, yeah. Yeah, this is what I like. I'm in versus something where you try to gloss it over and then they come in and then they're like, ah, oh, this wasn't where I really thought. And it just gets weird. I would rate, I, I always suggest, and I always emphasize just be brutally honest in your interviews. It's, it's you're so, gonna be so much happier. It's so uncomfortable. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause when I first, when I first took over the company, I kept hearing about this other company and it was Sidcor. Have you heard of them? I don't know that name. No. They're, they're okay, so they're they're a, a huge AT and T dealer, and then they've done a bunch of other stuff too. But basically, they're a sales organization, right? And so the way they do it is they own they hire from college graduates, right? Kind of like the insurance company, right? Um, yeah. They hire from yeah. college graduates, and uh, they go through a three step interview process. And the third round interview is them going out to the field, and it's the first time that the applicant even knows that it's door to door. You want to talk about uncomfortable. <laughs> you put them in that far. Yeah. Like, By the way, this is what it is. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, we're going to go uh, prospecting right now. They still don't say door-to-door at that point. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I agree with you 100%. We, we try to scare them out of the position, especially now yes. that we want six-figure earners. We try to scare yes. them out of the position. And if they don't scare yes. easily, we're in good shape. Absolutely, right? I mean, I want fearless people around me in sales who aren't afraid to ask, you know, ask the closing questions and walk up to a stranger, right? I mean, you need people that have that, that confidence. And so, yeah, you know, it's something where people face that one, not to man, the, the sales environment has changed a lot in the last 10 plus really years. Has. I mean, I think it, you know, it's contributed to movies like boiler room and, and Wolf of wall street. Like they popularized the idea of that salesperson, that crazy, crazy salesperson. Right? Yeah. 
But they've got people to think and be more open-minded about sales. I mean, yes, there's a very sleazy side of it, but I think it's got people to be more open-minded because when I first started doing interviews, talking to people about commission, it was like, hell no, like people were so adverse to it. Right. And nowadays people are much more open-minded to commission and realizing that's the path to unlimited income, freedom, mm-hmm. autonomy, all those things. And so nowadays, for sure, if somebody asks if it's commission, I'm like, hell yeah, it's commission. It's sales. Like, were, were, you, were you expecting anything different? And nobody really balks at that anymore. Versus 10 years yeah. ago, a lot of people still still balked at it. I, so that's the cool thing is I feel like you can be a lot more direct and you're going to find the 100 people that are out there. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. 10 years ago, I spent so much money and time on legitimizing our company because mm-hmm. we were door-to-door sales. I had to make sure that we didn't follow that that um, I guess the the culture that door to door sales had created at that point, which was you know the the uh, square office, you know three hundred square feet, a whiteboard, four chairs, the light that flickers, you know what I mean, and then hopefully you right. got paid on time. You know what I'm saying? They interviewed you at Starbucks, and you didn't see the office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we we spent so much time legitimizing. We, you know, we we spent a lot of money on office space. That's for sure, because that was the biggest thing. When, when you walked into our office, we wanted you to be impressed. We had a, yes. uh, we were the seven, on the 17th floor of an 18th floor office building. And the only nice. reason we weren't on the 18th floor is come some injury lawyer had the whole floor, right? <laughs> so, right. Um, and so when you walked in, it was glass doors and, you know, beautiful logo in the background and everything. And, and now half our team works remote and they could care less about the office space, you know? <laughs> it's one right. of those things. That's true. I was going to say before it's worth for having an office space. I'm a big believer in, in your interview process, if you want to attract A plus candidates, like you yourself need to be A plus, just how you look, mm-hmm. how you carry yourself, the office space to what you're describing, right? Needs to look A plus. Like it needs to be something where people are like, whoa, this this looks like money. It looks like a success. It's people are doing well. Yeah. I think that's an important part of interviewing is just this the environment, right? How it feels, how it looks, you know, how they're greeted even when they first show up to your office. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, my first line, this is a, this was a scripted line from back in my insurance days, but I still use it to this day. Is, when someone first sits down for the interview, I'm like, hey, sit back, relax. We're not making any hiring decisions as of today. This is just a second step and a three-step process. It's an opportunity to get to know you, you get to know us. We'll see if there's even an, any potential fit here. Mm-hmm. So like try to make just like a relaxed environment. Because a lot of people walk in real nervous. Yeah. You know, they're real uncomfortable. They've been out there interviewing a bunch of people, being told no, whatever they're doing. Um, you know, they're transitioning from something where they weren't happy. They've been employed for a while, so they're not very happy. Like my whole goal is you want them to feel comfortable and realize that this is a situation where you are making money and, and it isn't going to require hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, 100%. It has right. shifted so much though, from like 10 years ago, hasn't it? Like in terms of their attitude coming in, like they are so much more entitled coming in now. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, wait, it's not remote. I can't make 50 grand a year for sitting on my ass in my living room. You know what I'm saying? Wait, why right. would I, why would I work here? <laughs> I'm sorry. We're not Amazon. Our values help weed that out. Yeah. Right? You gotta be clear workers or you know high performers whatever you want like you gotta be, that's why that first half is so important because i won't even waste my time telling about everything we do if i don't see the first half so many so many people and companies are so happy to get a commission centric salesperson that they don't qualify and they 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 don't know anything about them when they hire them they're just like oh put you in the seat and you go sell or put you out in the field and you go sell and they spend so much time micromanaging and overmanaging that person and then dealing with you know, hiring another person to replace them over and over again instead of just qualifying on the front end and then having the right candidate in the right seat, you know, when it really matters. So th- there's exactly. a lot of that going on right now. So going back to your insurance days, when did you transition out of insurance? So that ended for me in like May of 2016. Mm-hmm. 
And so I took that summer, actually, I just drove for Uber. I was just driving around and so I basically did Uber on like evenings and weekends and was job hunting during the day. But it was nice. I mean, I kind of took the summer. I was pretty burnt out after being there for six years and busting my ass and had gotten pretty far up in the company. Realized yeah. it just wasn't the kind of people I wanted to be around. It was really cultural things. Yeah. Once I got near the top, I was like, eh, these aren't really the people I want to spend the rest of my life with. I've been here for six years. I think I've learned everything I need. I'm, I'm ready to move on. Walk, and so, walk through that a little bit. I mean, this isn't a national podcast show, so I don't think any of those people are going to hear this. Like, what was the issues care. culturally when you got up there? I'm, I'm curious about this because this has been a big subject yes. for me the last couple of weeks. So here's what appealed to me when I first got to the company is I remember hearing one of the, the senior guys talk about how he described it as a meritocracy, where he said that promotions weren't based on your time with the company or anything like that, you know, who you knew. It was based on results. That's how he described it. He said it was based on your merit. It's based on what value did you bring and what results did you achieve? That's how you got promoted. And that was true at that company to a point mm-hmm. you could do that to get so far, but then the next half of the ladder, it was who they liked. It was, it political. was completely who they like completely political. So once I got into that level of it, I was like, Oh, like this isn't what I want to be around. This is not how we described it from the beginning. Yeah. And it just didn't sit well with me. And and I, I got invited to some of the higher level stuff and, and I don't know, just, it, it was a lot of heavy partying and stuff that at the time I was like, cool, this is what I want to party. But looking backwards, I, I didn't, I don't, know, I don't even like the party really at all anymore. I, I wish I was a little bit more dialed in back then. If I had leaders around me that were more dialed in showing me some different things, I think I'd be potentially in a different place, but I just kind of followed that culture for a while. Then after mm-hmm. a little bit, I was like, this doesn't feel right. And that's why I ended up leaving. You know, in, 2000, well, in 2016, I was doing the same shit, brother. So <laughs> I was well, right there with last, you. Yeah. Well, here's my thing. My last year too, I was really getting dragged around too. I was all in the Portland area, but I went from one office to another, to another, to another and I was just getting dragged around, and I was surprised. I had a team that actually stayed with me for all these moves. It was only like within like an hour, or whatever of each other. Right, but right, but still I was moving. I held on to the people I held on to. When you wanted to go into some details, I have some crazy stories of some of these offices got moved into. They kept putting me in extremely toxic situations, and that's where I realized I was like, these guys don't value me. They keep just dogging me around, dragging me around. Just a, a piece like, they're moving around. Just the night, uh, mm-hmm. the night on the board. Felt it. Yeah. And I got to the point at the end of 2015 where my entire team had just collapsed. I had nothing. And I was like, I could, and I felt to myself, I was like, I'm a hardworking motherfucker. Like I, I'm always going to find a way to win. And I could build from scratch and, you know, put in my blood, sweat and tears and build up again. But I was like, well, why do it here where I can tell I'm not valued. I don't love what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that's why I knew it was time to go. Gotcha. So you were driving for Uber. I, yeah. I'm guessing just like the, the mentor that you had got bored, you know, when he retired, you got bored driving for Uber. So what, well, where did the next opportunity wait. come? I wasn't just looking to keep driving for Uber. My goal was to find something. Okay, so and you so were actively inter- looking. Oh yeah, I was actively looking the whole time. So I was, um, I was looking at anything. I wasn't looking at just sales at the time. I remember one of the positions that intrigued me the most was a an event planner for the zoo. I was like, that sounds kind of okay. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> like throw big like sponsored events. You're gonna go get down like business sponsors yeah. to come throw their events like at the zoo. And I was like, yeah. that sounds kind of fun. I can get into that. Um, so submitted my resume. I had no experience in that. And so they did not ever contact me. <laughs> um, the one that got away. Right? I was like, all these random, random things. And then finally I was like, you know what? I love sales. Like that's my passion. That's what I, I, I want to stay in sales. I don't want to get back in insurance. Um, so I was like, so what do I do next? And so I just kept interviewing around. I interviewed with one company that was a, a home improvement company that did roofing and windows. And 
they did not hire me. Um, they invited me to a second interview and did not hire me. And then I interviewed with a second home improvement company. Mm. <laughs> to this day, it was one of the funniest interviews experiences of my life. Because here I am, I got us done thousands of interviews, trained tons of other people. Like I know all the dynamics of interviewing. And so I sat in my first interview with these two guys and I could very clearly see it was the manager training the like up and coming new manager. Right. And that was the dynamic. And I'll never forget during the interview when they got to the, the tough questions of like, Hey, are you okay with sit, uh, like commission? I was like, hell yeah, man. I wouldn't want it any other way. And they're yeah. like, Oh wow. That's awesome. That's exciting. They're getting they're all like, excited. About, <laughs> oh yeah. The, the schedule there was Tuesday through Saturday. They're like, how do you feel about working like a Tuesday through Saturday schedule, like evenings and weekends? I was like, bro, I'll work seven days a week. Like, let's go. Like, I'm hungry. Like, yeah. sign me up. And they're like, whoa, my gosh, he's cool working all the time. So they were getting <laughs> all jazzed and excited. Um, and so it's funny because I'm very good friends with that guy to this day who was the junior guy at the time. He actually ended up being my direct manager. Nice. And I was his, I was his first ever hire. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm not the first person you ever hired, bro. Yeah. Like, that is not normal. You do not find people like me just interviewing around that gets to be your first hire. So uh, still a good friend of mine to this day. We still talk pretty often. And, uh, but it was funny because he was my manager, but I was I'm a few years older than him, more experienced than him. Like right from day one, I was able to, well, he, he taught me how the company works. And cause that's the thing, when I first came into the industry, what was top of mind for me was I told myself, I want to spend one year as a rep. Just I want to learn the industry. Yeah. I want to like soak it in. I want to learn the industry, the product, the company, how all this works. Like this is all brand new to me. I mean, I know, I know sales, I know in-home sales. I've done in-home sales the whole time. But I didn't know the roofing industry. That was all brand new to me. And I was learning from scratch. And so I'm glad I took that year to really dive into it, really learn it. Um, and then even since joining Apex, I've realized there's so much more to it than I ever realized. Because I was just doing all retail out West yeah. before I even knew what insurance work was. So there's there's all different sites of roofing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but it took a year. And then at the end of that year is when they said they had a program to become a GM in training. And I was like, perfect. I want to go run my own branch, be a general manager. Yeah. Signed up for that program. Ended up getting delayed a year. So I opened a branch in 2019. That got delayed until then 2020. And that's what I did is I opened a branch in Reno, Nevada. And uh, it was badass, man. I built a really awesome sales team. Yeah, and that, that was kind of, uh, so, to this day, your, your peak as far as the sales team size and everything? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah, I was running this branch. We got up to about 15 salespeople. Um, I mean, it was badass. We built it from scratch, opened in February 2020. So it was literally mm-hmm. a month before the pandemic broke out. Was it and, was it all door-to-door? Um, no. So the company had a call center. Okay. Uh, so what's interesting is when I hear other contractors complain about HomeAdvisor, I worked for a company that we dominated HomeAdvisor. Yeah. Like, I was the guy that you guys all hated. Yeah. Because our company, this company... Uh, would go, they'd be the first one out there. That was always the goal. I mean, they would call immediately. People would say they'd enter the information on home advisor within 10 seconds. They had something like phone call. Nice. And the goal is to be the first one out there, show them something so amazing that they want to buy and they, they buy on one call close. Who is, who is your team in that process? Was it the person that went out or the person that answers the phone? So yeah, the people that were answered the phones were always remote to me. I okay. never had any direct involvement with them. I trained salespeople that then went to scheduled appointments. So that's what gotcha. was really badass for recruiting was, hey, we have scheduled appointments that you show up to. But they, so they didn't have to knock doors? Or they did? They no, salespeople didn't have to. So, wow. so here's the thing. It created, but I was not a Lazy. big fan of this. It created a lead junkie mentality. Yep. People are just hooked on these leads, man. They just wanted more leads versus... Mm-hmm. I was really big on training salespeople to be self-sufficient. Yeah. In fact, I always love it when Ryan Stevens says that the two skills you need to be a salesperson is the ability to generate a lead and the ability to close. And if you can't do both, you're not a salesperson. 
And so what's interesting is I was really big on pushing that salespeople needed to knock doors and generate their own needs. My whole vision, I know I'm still going to build this someday, yep. is to build out a sales organization that doesn't need company-generated leads. That can be, and I think the company should generate leads. I, I've had all kinds of thoughts about this recently. Mm-hmm. But like, it, they should go to the top performers. There should be some sort of qualifier. You have to be here for a certain amount of time, achieve a certain amount of result. Then you mm-hmm. qualify for these company leads. Now you'll appreciate it yeah. because you know that it was earned. Because the thing is, if you just give out leads, that's the other thing too. Is these, those leads cost a lot of money. Yeah. But for someone who just gets it for free, the value is not the same. No. Absolutely. Right. Versus when you knock that door or you had to earn that lead somehow, like now you're like, I'm not going to mess this up. So I put in some blood and sweat just to get this thing in the first place. So that's something that I'm a big believer is teach people how to do things, knocking doors, generating leads online, social media, like community events, like just get out there and referrals, of course, like do what you can to generate your own leads and feed yourself and run your own schedule. So I, I'll, I'll kind of tell you what we do and the way that we structure it on the on the solar side is, so you've got the setter, right? And the setter makes a certain amount. And what we try to do is whenever we generate company leads, we try to get it to where the cost per appointment is the same amount as the setter cost because that's what you're paying for. You're paying for an appointment from the setter or you're paying for an appointment from the company lead. And so uh, that's the first piece of it. And then once you get to closer, you're getting appointments from your setters, right? And we want the closers to be dialed in because – a solar close is complicated and there is some project management on the back end. So we need them to be experts at that, not generating the lead. Right. But the closers have to generate a certain amount of uh, their own leads before they reach that point where they're getting company generated leads. Right. So they're managing the setters, they're training the setters, they're generating their own leads. And then uh, once they get to a certain gross volume amount, then they get access to those company leads, you know, which, Mm -hmm. Again, cost per acquisition is the same as if it was a setter. So Wayne said something the other day that was just really impactful for me. And he was like, I'd rather, because he's, he's a door-to-door guy through and through. You know what I mean? He's like, I'd rather that cost per appointment go to an individual within the company that, that money is going to make an impact versus going to this marketing company, the lead gen company, you know, SEO costs, Google search rankings, whatever the, ca- the case is. And I was like, man, you know what? Like, that's why you're my partner right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that is so, so true. So there was a question asked in Sales Talks with Solar Pros today, which is a ripoff of Ryan's group, but whatever. We won't talk about that. Um, but it's a, it, it, it's a great group because there's all kinds of crap thrown around in there. But some, these baited posts always happen where they're like, would you prefer door-to-door or uh, lead gen? you know, when, when closing solar or whatever. And of course a bunch of people are on there, you know, everybody's on the lead gen hype right now. And because they can sell solar in their boxers and make 300 grand a year, how many people are actually doing that? You know, we'll see. But from a company owner standpoint, it's just different. You know what I'm saying? Because you're taking all the risk and spending all that marketing dollars and then hoping that your systems can convert and that you can set quality appointments. Right. Right. Anyways, so um, I was thinking about both things and I went back to it. And I was like, man, it would be door to door for me because I know every dollar that we earn in that solar deal is going towards somebody in my company. Because it's a it's a company generated lead, you know? Yeah. So that's pretty. I was say my answer, and this is just how I work, is both. Yeah. We maximize everything. I'm a big proponent of saying like push every button, put your foot on every pedal, like just smash it all mm-hmm. as much as you can. Now, granted, I mean, do that in a controlled manner. I'm not saying right. you have to do it chaotically, but yeah, we're about maximize everything because 
based on the economy, based on your region, based on who knows what, there's going to be ebbs and flows, seasonality, right? Like there's going to be times where door knock is not as effective or the online stuff's not as effective. Right. If one starts to fall, it's that redundancy of having options of how you generate leads. 100%. Yeah, I couldn't agree more because that's that's one thing we have never given up on the lead gen piece. You know, we, we've got it down to about $2,000 per uh, customer acquisition, which is, you know, about $500 too high for the solar industry. But we're, we're about 30 grand in. We've been playing with it for three or four months. You know what I mean? And it, it has generated some quality closes for our guys. But, you know, 80% of our stuff comes from door to door. You know what I'm saying? So we're, we're testing it out. We're playing with it. You know, we turn it off every now and then and hyper focus on door to door recruiting, training, especially right now during the summer months. Like you said, there's certain times. And then when the winter months come around, we'll probably lean on lead gen a little more because it, it gets dark at 530. You know what I'm saying? So and it's wild how much darkness makes a difference for door knocking. Oh, hell yeah. Like, it, it, it can be dark for half an hour. People are like, why are you out here so late? You're like, yeah. it's, it's six o'clock. I was out here at like 8 30 and they're like, yeah, what's up? Absolutely. So, so going back to the, I guess the home advisor and then the in, in home model. So you were saying that it created these lead junkies. How did you, how did you combat that? Cause I honestly, I have not consulted for a company yet that the salesperson generates their own leads. So I, I don't, it's hard for me to explain to them that like, Hey, Take that customer acquisition cost, you know, or the cost per lead, or the, no, the customer acquisition cost, and let them go out and self-generate for 20% of the time. Let them, you know, whether it's telemarketing, whether it's networking, whether it's um, door knocking, wh- whatever the, the medium is that's best for your business, B2B is typically the one that I'm talking about, but it's door-to-door, but for businesses, right? right. Um, let them go out and, and do that for a 20% of the time. And then pay them that customer acquisition cost whenever they get a new customer. You're spending it anyways on your lead gen. Right. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. now you have more control over the volume, right? So then you create an entry-level tier that is nothing but self-gen, right? Yeah. And once they cut their teeth in self-gen and they, they make money that way, then you start giving them company leads like we talked about. But so that's, you, that's the structure I believe in. Yeah, so you, but you're starting out backwards. They're already getting the company leads. So how did you keep them hungry? Um, it was a culture of winning okay. and that was the cool thing that I developed was I had, I mean, like I said, one of the things I said in the interviews, I'm looking for people who are hungry and I was really clear about that. I was like, I can't put the fire in your belly. Right. You know, you've got to have some hunger and it doesn't matter where you're at. You just want to be better. I don't care if you're somebody who's used to making 50,000 and you want to get to a hundred. I don't care if you're somebody who's used to making a hundred and wants to get to 200. Like wherever you are, do you want to get better? Do you want to level up? Do you have that hunger? Mm-hmm. So I was really clear about that in my interview because then what it, no, here's the thing. The thing about interviewing, first of all, is that there's no perfect process, right? right. Nobody has that, that that magic ball they can look at and be like, this is the perfect hire. I ask all the right questions. They're going to make it. Believe me, I've made plenty of bad hires. But the cool thing is when you build it right and you have the right culture, the good ones stick. Yeah, and the people sense. that don't really fit, they end up just kind of washing away. They realize, oh, I'm not as hardworking as everyone here. Oh, I'm not as ambitious. I'm not as hungry. I don't really fit this. And they just stop coming around. I mean, I mean, sometimes will show up and say, Hey, I'm, I'm out, but yeah. they do not last. They, they quickly realize so that's the cool thing is once you have a good culture going, they do not last. And so for me, I actually, I never had this thought until I just thought about it right now. You know, I, I guess maybe almost like one of the blessings of the pandemic was, so I had to stop hiring for a couple months. Yeah. So at first I hired a handful of people like four or five, but then a couple of them fell off and it was just me and two guys. Yeah. And that was for about two months in the beginning of this branch. 
and we were only getting one or two leads a day. Mm-hmm. And we were told if you guys don't do well, wasn't given an exact metric, but if you guys don't do well, we will have to shut down your branch. Right. Because this is brand new and we don't want to pump resources yeah, into it. Rent, and what's going on, who knows? Yeah. Right. So what happened was my branch in Reno and the Las Vegas branch opened simultaneously because it was a, it was a state license in Nevada, right? So mm-hmm. once we got our Nevada license, we both opened and we were both told the same message. And we were getting like one or two leads a day and we were finding ways to close them. I mean, I have my, I actually kept a journal the whole time. So I've recorded every single sale that we made. We were constantly just one lead to make a sale, two leads made a sale, two leads made two sales. It's like day after day after day. It was awesome. So I had these two guys that I trained to just be killers from the beginning because mm-hmm. it was just down to me and them. And I just poured into them. And it was kind of funny because I couldn't go out in the field with them. That was the whole thing. It was like pandemic and I'm supposed to be together. You gotta yeah. stay separate yeah. if someone gets sick, so you're quarantined from each other. So if someone gets sick, like not everybody has to be out. Right. And so I had to stay away from them. So I did a lot of like armchair quarterback sales coaching where I was just like, they'd be in the in the field, and they'd go out, step out of the house and call me, like, hey, this is the situation that's going on. I'll be like, cool, here's the objection that they're saying. This is what I can tell they're saying. Here's how you're gonna go in there and handle. It. I'd give them exact word tracks of what to go say in the house. Mm-hmm. And it worked. And we were just closing and it was beautiful. And so my branch never got shut down. I take a lot of pride. Vegas branch got shut down. They had to go yeah. down to Phoenix for a month or two. Yeah. And we kept it going the whole time. So those guys, one of them is actually still working there. One of them did go down to the San Diego branch. He's not there anymore. Uh-huh. Um, but like we took a lot of pride in holding that thing down and holding it open. And then come May, we were able to start hiring again. And even some of those people, there's one of those guys that's still there from, from that period. Yeah, I can't imagine, you know, basically the proving period that happened during that during that, that COVID time. Because we had we had the same thing. You know, we had you know, probably 50 people going into COVID and then 20 coming out of it, right? Because we could only guarantee so many salaries, you know, from the PPP rounds and all that kind of stuff. Um, Right. But at the end of the day, the 20 that came out of it were just beasts. You know what I mean? They were monsters, you know? Yes. And because they got through it. And we were like cold calling the phone book to make deals. You know what I'm saying? We were totally breaking telemarketing laws. Uh what is it? The FTC, if you're listening, I did not just say that, (laughs) (laughs) but we were doing whatever we had to make it, uh, you know, yeah, we, and we got super scrappy during that time. And then when we came out of it, you know, those guys were just dialed in and, and, you know, we started recruiting again and it it blew up Uh again. Um, So I had those guys who were just dialed in, they were hungry, they were mm -hmm. winning. And that really helped set the foundation for the now as we built and brought on more people, they came, saw them winning. They want to be part of it. Just stayed hungry. Gotcha. So it's the foundation makes all the difference. It makes a huge difference having the right culture, the right people, not letting the wrong people stick around. Like I said, I had some bad hires here and there. They yeah. let stick around. I mean, the, the, one of the biggest points of pride that I had, there's a few, but one of them was that we had the lowest turnover in the company. I mean, my yeah. last year, we lost two or three people. That was it. And I did not have to do revolving or hiring, revolving hiring because my team stuck and yeah. crushed it. It was really cool to see. Yeah. And it, it it's, it becomes a lot different. You develop a different skill set at that point because now your skill set is mentorship and mindset training, right? Versus before you're always doing the initial training and the initial success and then trying to keep them after 90 days after they have that initial success and they realize, oh, crap, I'm a salesperson. I can go work for all these different companies and shiny object, shiny object, you know? So that's what you're doing for so long. But then when you get that core group of guys, now you're mentoring, you're uh, developing them, you're growing them. You know what I'm saying? Versus the people under them, right? And so that, that's probably my favorite piece of, of the journey now is developing others to succeed the way that you did when you were in your early 20s, you know? 
Yeah. Well, I was gonna say you just mentioned you know right when salespeople are equipped and realize they can work anywhere in sales. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, actually, the quote I have behind me here is this is something I made for myself for my birthday in January 2021. Nice. It is uh, Richard Branson. My okay. favorite quote on business comes from Richard Branson. It's train people well enough so they can leave, treat them well enough so they don't want to. Yeah. And I love that mentality because that's so savage to me. That's, that's the mentality I always have with my people. Was I would train them to be so good that they could go sell anywhere. Right. But then I treat them so well, they're like, well, why would I leave? Because nobody's going to treat me as well as you do. Right. And so that was, you know, I developed, I learned a lot about myself running that branch that I didn't even know. You know, and one of actually my biggest epiphanies, which worked out beautifully, mm-hmm. is I actually allow my commission salespeople to take off whenever they want, yeah. as much time as they want. They can take half a day off any given day, any day, any week, any, I had a guy, one of my top guys, he'd take a month off once a day, like at least once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. And I realized, I was like, I would rather have people that the, when they show up to work that day, they want they're hungry, home. they're down in, they want it. So even that morning, someone wakes up and says, hey, I'm not feeling it, cool, get the fuck off my schedule, because I got plenty of other people here who are hungry and they're mm-hmm. gonna go get it. And that's how we just kept winning all the time. But then what my reps appreciated about it was they would go hard, but then if they got tired, they knew they could take a rest. Yeah. Hey, take a day off. You got doctor's appointments or family stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, go have half a day. Like I never gave anyone any grief for taking any time off. I said, take take all the time you want off. Because at the end of the day, if you're really hungry, you'll get the results. And if you're not, you'll fall off. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. One of the things that we instituted in our employee handbook about six months ago was unlimited vacation. It is beautiful. Reps appreciate it so much. And that's where my reps are like, why would I leave? Why would I have someone come mm-hmm. in my schedule, boss me around? You know, yeah. we, we did have weekly sales meetings that people were required required to come to. I mean, they can miss every now and again. But I made a real quick point. Like, look, I asked for one time for like two hours once a week. Like, yeah. please do what you can. Not miss that. It was Fridays from 10 to noon. Like, that was the one time I said, that's the only time of yours I asked for. The rest of the week is yours. Right. So people were good about attending those. And we had badass meetings. They were fun. I can go over the structure of a sales meeting if you want. Like I have a mm-hmm. very dialed in, very simple structure, very effective. And it made it very easy to plan for and have a, a very fun meetings that you want to show up to. Yeah. Let's, let's walk through that real quick. And then I want to transition to what's happening now. Sure. So uh, yeah. So five steps to a sales meeting. This is something actually, again, it goes back to my insurance days, but I doubted it in running you know, with the, the roofing company with the running my branch and mm-hmm. it, it was great. So five steps to a, a, an effective sales meeting. Number one is fun, right? So start something fun get people engaged, get them going. It's also good to start with fun because yeah, you spend the first 10 to 15 minutes doing something like that. So even if you do have someone who shows up late, if they show up five minutes late, you're not like right in the middle of a speech, you're in the middle of a game. Right. So not that I like people being late, but let's, we know how salespeople are, so we're going to be late every now and again. <laughs> so just kind of something to roll in the middle of a game. Let, really let's not BS, game. they're late a lot. <laughs> right, let's call it what it is. So, like, so you start with something fun. It could be, a, and I actually, I love creating sales games. And I've seen some of the games that you guys created. What was yeah. like, like, Ghetto Jeopardy. I saw yeah. the other day. Like, I love stuff like that. Coming up with these fun games. And I do really couldn't try to become sales oriented. So sometimes I bring like random objects from my house and make people sell it. And yeah. then I will not going to like, give you a 20 bucks. Like, hey, whoever wins, you know, I'll buy your lunch today. Here's 20 bucks to go buy lunch. Right. Stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so fun's the first part. Then announcements, right? So you got to do your house cleaning. You got to go over, hey, here's things that are changing. I need you guys to sign this new addendum to your pay plan. I need you guys to recognize that this is going on in the economy. Let's talk about company news. changing us. Yeah. Right. Company news, just things that are going on, right? So you got to do your house cleaning. So that's these are kind of two of the most just kind of straightforward things. Do some fun, get your announcements out from there. Then next one, which is huge in sales is recognition. So I was really big on weekly recognition. So we would recognize anyone that did over 25,000 in gross sales from the last week because they were pacing for a hundred thousand in gross sales, right? For the right. month. 
Right. So that was always a, a good pace because they usually net 70 to 80,000. And when somebody's making that money, they're usually pretty close, especially if they're over 80,000 on court, you know, on par for, for making a uh, hundred thousand dollars in a year. Mm-hmm. So I always recognize that 25,000 a week in gross sales. Um, they got their name shouted out and I always did in order. So if there's five people over that mark, I'd be number five, number four, number three, number two, number one. Yeah. It's fun. Um, and then, yeah, and then just top, you know, if it was the end of the month, talk about the top monthly performers from the last month. Usually just recognize if somebody had like a badass sale that week, some, you know, cause I was talking war stories. Yeah. I've had a good story about like, this guy had an awesome one. This gal had an awesome one. I'd call him out like, Hey, can you share your story? Tell me yeah. about that one you had on Thursday, on Tuesday, whatever day. Um, yeah. So recognition is a really important part. Sales people thrive on that. Um, fourth and from there is education or training. Mm-hmm. Right, support your people. Have a prepared topic. Have a prepared either you know discussion that you're going to have, series of questions you're going to do. But that's something I see a lot of people in the running meetings try to wing it, and I think that's a mistake. You want to make yeah. sure you come in prepared, right? So have a prepared topic. For me, what I actually did in my phone the whole week long is I actually kept a notepad in my phone, a little note thing mm-hmm. where whatever issues came up, I was always putting them in my phone. That would come up in the announcements and it would come up in the training. So if it was like a big training topic, I'd be like, whoa, everyone's having trouble with this objection. We're definitely trained on this top topic right now. Yeah. You know, hey, I keep seeing these issues with this on setting their expectation for the install. Something's going on. We're going to train them. Like, what's the proper expectations to set at the end of the sale, right? And turn that into a training. So all throughout the week, I was preparing for my meeting the whole time. I had my five categories and I was just plugging pieces in all throughout the week. Um, and then from there, then the last one's motivation. Right. Always like to end the meeting on a positive note, bring up either a video or a topic or just something motivational, even just maybe an example of someone in the office that did something that helped a homeowner or helped the community in some way and have them share about it and get some warm and fuzzy kind of feeling to end the meeting. Something like that. usually. Um, so we have damn near the exact same structure, except we start the meeting with motivation. And we end it with fun. So it's just like the, the, the swap right there. And we, we yeah. had a we had a meeting agenda, too. So at one point we were, we had 13 offices, right? So that's 13 market managers. And so what we would do is not only did we have our meeting, but we'd have a manager call like an hour before the meeting. So they would have about 30 minutes in between the manager call and the meeting to prep or re-prep. So their, their meeting's ready to go by the manager call. Everybody's discussing, you know, basically the structure of their meetings and what they're going to do. Now they had company-wide, you know, obviously news that they had to cover and then company-wide training that they had to cover. You know, but other than that, they got to make their own sales meeting and they got to insert, you know, the different stuff that they wanted to in there. And then, of course, you know, one guy would share, oh, y'all got to play this Eric Thomas, Eric Thomas speech today. You know what I'm saying? Or you got to play this Ed Milet speech today. And then everybody would play the same speech and everybody would be hyping the sales chat on on that speech or whatever the case was. It's crazy because we just saw both those guys at MDM, you know, so it's pretty cool. Wow, right? Yeah. (laughs) All right. And here's the nice thing about having a structure like that is mm-hmm. it makes it easy to delegate, right? Yeah. So now you can start to help your up and coming leaders. In fact, that was one of my things I really like to do in my branch is between those five pieces, I can now assign out even as like one piece to a person at a time. Yeah. Like, hey, you're in charge of the fun today. Come up with the game. You're going to be running it. You're mm-hmm. in front of the whole office. That may be the first one to get somebody on. Just kind of get them comfortable being in front of the whole group. Some people aren't comfortable with that right yeah. away, right? You know, hey, you're going to be doing the training today. Like, you really got to, you know, I want to see what topic you come prepared with. We're going to discuss it before the meeting, stuff like that. Hey, you know, you got motivation today. And then that becomes a really fun part as the leaders. Once you start to delegate that stuff out, and you're seeing other people, you know, rise up and, and, and take over. Yeah, my managers would have, uh, what do they call it, a huddle before the yeah. meeting. And they sure. would bring the assistant managers in. And each of the assistant managers would be, like you just said, responsible for one piece of the meeting. And uh, they would cover you know, because they were managing like 30, 40 guys in one office at a time, you know, so it, some of our offices got really big, you know, and uh, you had to be on point, 
Because if you lost 30 or 40 people, it was over. You weren't getting That's them back. Yeah, exactly. Awesome, man. So it, it, it's pretty cool to see like kind of a similar trajectory over the past 10 years, you know, hearing the epiphanies that you had throughout the process. And I had them around the same time. So it's pretty cool. We're yeah. like-minded that way. So what yeah. is the, I guess, what is the next step for you? I know you've been itching to start your own deal now. Man, I am. Um, it's, it's still a little bit up in the air. because. Mm-hmm. So the way things ended with my last company, I was just really in a headspace where I needed some time. So that ended in November. Yeah. Um, I needed some time and, but, and it was important. You know, I think it's important to go inward and really assess yeah. things and whatnot, but pretty much, yeah, come by about March. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm itching to go again. Like I want to get something going. Right. So I uh, jumped on an opportunity that brought me out here to Florida mm-hmm. uh, ended up being not quite the right fit. Right. Um, it did teach, but I was very, I'm very grateful. It did teach me a lot about the insurance side of roofing. Cause I never worked directly in the insurance side of roofing. So I got two months of that under my belt now, gotcha. a lot of door knocking. I now understand that side of things on a whole nother level now, mm-hmm. which is really cool to have that experience. Um, and then, yeah, I pivoted to another role that I'm in right now, which keeps me plugged into the roofing world and I'm doing sales and it's all via zoom, which is completely new to me purely sell via zoom virtual so an okay. experience. Yeah, virtual selling and I'm, but I'm selling two contractors to the actual owners, uh-huh. um, branding and marketing okay. geared specifically towards roofing. So it's cool. Um, but I have that itch to start my own thing. Yeah, I have it. And I, in fact, even, um, just last night, in fact, I have a thumb drive right here. I was reviewing, I have the, all these files because much like your one sheet, I've been creating yeah. just tons and tons of documents over the years. Yeah. And I have a very clear vision of exactly how I would run a very large, very successful roofing company. Mm-hmm. And I just, I keep going back and forth of whether, do I just need to dig my heels in, go start my own thing? I know it's going to take a while. I know even, for example, here in Florida, that licensing is really backed up right now. Right. Like, like it's just taking months to get going. It's, it's a pretty lengthy process. It's not cheap. It's got, I don't know, there's, there's, it's pretty involved. So I just keep asking myself, is that the route I want to go? Or do I want to see if I can find a, a, a high level role where I could really help somebody run their company or maybe someone who just started from scratch, but doesn't really have much sales or operational yeah, partnership opportunities. Yeah. Right. So that's where I'm on the fence of like, is that what I'm looking for or start my own scratch deal. And I'm literally waffling on that right now because I want to do something soon. Uh, that's all I know. So, you know, the exercise that uh, I would recommend you do. What's that? Uh, have you ever heard Thomas Keenan talk about his perfect day? I don't recall if I have. Um, yeah, I, don't, I can't recall off the top of my head. So, uh, I've got some notes that I'll send you, and um, it's it's my perfect day. And then I also have Thomas's perfect day. I, I believe I have the notes for his perfect day, and that, that'll kind of give you the outline. Fill that in, and I think that'll kind of direct you where you want to go. And it, it, it's this really cool practice. You you know how uh, Ryan has the most elite version of yourself. Well, this Absolutely is more, this is more dialed in. Like I, I wake up and I give gratitude. You know what I'm saying? I brush my teeth for four minutes. You know, like it's, you got to be super detailed about every piece of it because it really gets you thinking about, okay, what's important to me throughout the day? What's my perfect day? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'll say this much. I've been working on my, on my perfect day for the last year or two now. Like mm-hmm. I have a pretty clear picture of what my perfect day looks like. In fact, even I mean, in a, for a broad framework, I got it from Rob Deerdick. I heard this from him and I thought I loved it because it fits the Dude's G code well. He's a beast. I, he was on his podcast. I think it was with Joe Rogan. Uh-huh. Um, but he talked about his schedule is he does 
He sleeps for seven hours. He starts his days with three hours for himself. So three hours of personal development, that's working out, reading, journaling, whatever you got to do, right? Then it's seven hours of work and seven hours of family and friends. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that to me is the perfect schedule. And so it has been on my mind to dial it. Cause I know my, my perfect schedule would be go to bed at 10, up at five, five to eight is personal plan. That's where I can work out, read, right. journal, important things to me, mm-hmm. get all that stuff done. Then from eight till uh, three, I just, I work straight. I mean, maybe I eat lunch as I'm going, but like I'm, I'm just dialed in for seven beast hours, but then three to 10 is completely set aside for family, friends, and connecting with other people. Now that makes a lot of sense. Um, but you can go a little a, a little bit further with it, and I'm trying to find it while we're on this because <laughs> I would love to go through it real quick. Man, I've got to – yeah, I'm going to send you the notes. But when you hear mine, you, you kind of realize what I'm talking about. Like it, it's, it's down to every 30-minute like block, you know what I mean, yeah. what you're doing. And so, so mine was very much mirror Thomas Keenan's, you know, because I'm in – in my perfect day, I'm in that consulting space, you know what I'm saying, for, for large organizations, large sales teams and stuff like that. And then it's not just me, it's my whole team with me, you know what I mean? And so my, my idea has always been, okay, I've got my sales divisions and I've got my sales programs, right? But there's a consulting arm that they can feed into. So my leaders in all of my sales division can be deployed to other companies just to have a week at it doing something different besides leading sales teams they can go and show it another company what they do every day and how to do yeah. it in their organization. You know what I'm saying? So the consulting piece really gets them into that, um, into that teaching space, which I, I believe is like the ultimate fulfillment. Anytime you're te- if, if you notice when you're teaching someone something, when you're mentoring someone, when you're um, leading someone, that's when you have the most fulfillment. That, that's, when, that's something that money can't touch. 100%. Yeah, that, that's that 90% money can make you hap, happy in 90% of your life, but the other 10% is the most important. And I feel like teaching people is is where that's at. So that's the consulting piece of, of our Jensen. Oh, yeah. And I get to do it all the time. And I talk to Wayne, and it's like, hey, and, and Wayne's like, hey, I could do that. And he's like, you absolutely could. But we're building a solar company right now, so you keep doing what you're doing. Oh, and, he's got a mission. Yeah, yeah, we both got a mission right now, so we got to get it done. But uh, man, brother, this has been a, a an awesome podcast, and I and I got a feeling you're going to get about five partnership offers after we get off of this, and I'm sure you get job offers all the time and stuff like that. So, um, definitely after everybody just heard you were available, so right, <laughs> pretty it's, much what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right, brother. Well, I I appreciate you you coming on the call. If somebody does want to reach out to you, they can go to uh, Alex Keats on Facebook. I did see that you have that on there. Are you on Instagram, TikTok, any of that stuff? I mean, I am on Instagram. I don't really spend much time on there checking it. Really, the best thing is Facebook Facebook. Messenger. On that all the time, you can give me awesome. Well, we'll we'll post a link uh, to your Facebook profile in the comments, and who knows? You know, we might be talking two years from now, and maybe this sparked a partnership or something, and you know, you are doing ten million a year. Let's go. Oh, at least. At least. I got some big plans. So, yeah, if anyone wants to talk, hit me up. All right. Sounds good, brother. Let's get building. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. Be sure to appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way, you'll get notifications as new episodes become available. Remember, great sales teams are not recruited, they are built block by block. Until next time.